Hello, and welcome to Teen Scientist on WDIY. I'm your host, Raina Malhotra, and doing our audio engineering tonight is James Ziprote. Here on the show, I bring you stories of groundbreaking innovation in the science, technology, engineering, and math disciplines entirely from a youth perspective. We feature young researchers and respected experts in their fields at the local, regional, and international levels. On tonight's segment, we have a student joining us all the way from Mumbai, India. Avi Shah is an aspiring astrophysicist and particle physicist, and we have the privilege of learning all about his great research and interests today. Welcome, Avi. How are you? I'm good, Reina. How are you? I'm doing great, and thank you so much for taking the time to join us on Teen Scientists. Now, before we dive right in, can you just tell us a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure. My name's Avi Shah. I'm 16. I'm a junior at Oberoi International School in Mumbai, and I've been interested in physics and math for a few years now, since the seventh grade. Perfect. And so you mentioned you were interested in physics and math. What specifically in those fields do you kind of find yourself gravitating towards? The first thing that interested me in physics and math, I was always a very science-driven or math-driven student ever since I can remember. But a pivotal point for me was when in the seventh grade, I witnessed the takeoff of a rocket called Chandrayaan-2. That's an Israel uh, project that came to a termination in 2019. That is the night that I think I realized I want to be an astrophysicist. The way that physics translates the workings of the universe into simple math and letters that can be put on a whiteboard, but also capture the workings of the cosmos itself, that's what interests me the most. The fact that such big concepts can be distilled to their essence in a series of pen strokes. And that's amazing. So at that young age, were there any kind of resources? Did you have any like summer camps or programs or kind of online classes that you were able to pursue that interest at at such a young age? Or was it something that you kind of only exposed yourself to in the classroom? Well, first of all, I was an avid reader. So books were obviously my first source of knowledge to go to. I read a Brief History of Time, if you have heard of it, by Stephen Hawking. Mm-hmm. Even Neil deGrasse Tyson's Astrophysics for People in a Hurry. Those are the books I started with, and those are the books I was privileged to read. I was privileged enough to be able to read them because they allowed me to gain a deeper interest in the field of physics and math, but also access more advanced concepts in a much more student-friendly manner. Because at the age of 12 or 13, I didn't understand most of the things that were in a textbook. I'd say a driving factor in my passion as well as my understanding of physics and math were my supportive teachers as well as my friends in school. Because within and outside the classroom, my teachers were able to support me with resources such as websites, books, courses, etc. And they were able to fuel my passion. So that's one thing that I'm very grateful for. And did you ever feel like compared to your peers, this was kind of a niche interest or were you surrounded by a a group of students that also had overlapping interests in in physics and math? Oh, definitely. I would say physics itself, even just pure physics is a very, very niche interest. I feel that that's common in most places, but astrophysics specifically is even more specific, which makes it even more obscure. A lot of my friends do want to go into aerospace engineering or similar fields, But the purely theoretical side is something you don't see many students interested in. Absolutely. I can completely understand that. I now want to transition to talk about your major research project. Can you start off by giving our listeners a brief overview on your major study on effective field theories for inflationary cosmology? 
Okay, so a couple of months ago, I concluded a short review on field theories for inflationary cosmology, which is my first paper. What I covered in that is essentially these frameworks that physicists have created over the past few decades that model how the universe itself has grown and has come to be what it is today over the past 14 billion years, as well as how it started and the mechanism that drives it. The latter is especially what I focused on. I differentiated and brought out uh, the distinguishing qualities of three major models in inflationary cosmology, which were, first of all, slow roll in inflation, ultra slow roll inflation, and old inflation. Essentially, what they do is they describe what is known as the inflaton field. You can imagine it as a sort of sea that permeates in space. And whenever there's a massive wave in the inflaton field, the universe expands exponentially. And physicists believe that that is exactly what happened at the beginning of the universe, or the Big Bang, as many of us know. And my paper looked at these three models and attempted to identify the most successful or the most accurate components of these theories and then further suggest research pathways that can be used to corroborate those. And you mentioned the paradigms that you focused on in your research, old inflation, slow roll, and ultra slow roll inflation. What are the key differences between these three? Well, they were developed chronologically, right? So old inflation was Alan Guth's brainchild in 1981, and slow and ultra-slow-roll inflation are continuations of this theory. Physicists over decades built on these theories to make them more accurate and more extensive. So old inflation, slow-roll inflation, and ultra-slow-roll inflation all describe the same mechanism, which is the inflaton field, but in different ways. So the key difference between all three of them is the shape of the potential of the field. The concept of a field potential is a little bit more esoteric. So in a very crystal manner, it is basically how much energy the field has. And the way that the field transition between low and high energies is essentially the key factor that distinguishes between these three theories. Okay. And how do these models, especially within the context of a quadratic field potential, help us understand the early universe's dynamics? An effective field theory can be extrapolated to a lot of different fields of study as well. Since the inflaton field is responsible for the expansion of the universe, we can fast forward it in time, we can rewind it in time, and we can use different subject matter that is present in the field of physics in order to create a more accurate model. Two examples of this is, for example, the temperature of the universe as well as the formation of cosmological phenomena. A common denominator between these two is the cosmic microwave background. You could think of it as a sort of radio fuzz throughout the universe. No matter where you point, you will always find this sort of background noise in the form of waves, in the form of radiation. But when you bring it back to the Big Bang, it creates a big sea of energy, and the patterns within this sea of energy can be predicted or checked with inflationary cosmology. That is one of the ways that inflationary cosmology can be helped to understand the universe's dynamics. Absolutely, that's amazing. And what was it that actually inspired you to go into this specific topic? And how did you find the resources and mentorship to perform this study? Was there anyone you turned to for for guidance and feedback? So I did have a mentor, Davio Chianchi. He was instrumental in my having found this topic itself. We did meet through a program, but 
for the first couple of months we were brainstorming because i have a very wide field of interest but i hadn't dipped my toes into a lot of these more advanced topics of physics because i didn't have so much experience it was very important to me to have someone to discuss what i research with in order for it to be both accurate and not futile and what davio did was he had discussions with me and talking about a lot of different things i initially wanted to research quantum chromodynamics but the scope for that was very little and after tons of discussion and a little bit of my own research through lectures videos textbooks and even books i landed on interstellar cosmology because it's very closely linked to astrophysics which was my first love and you mentioned that this was your first ever paper was going into research like this daunting at first did it have like an intimidating feel when you first started going into this whole process and what kind of inspired you to go forward like how did you build up the courage to go into something that a lot of people at our age could be a little intimidated of at the beginning i was very 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 enthusiastic and i couldn't wait to dive in but in my opinion as you begin to go into your first research experience and begin to have realizations about the nature of the work that you have to do the extensiveness of the work you're doing as well as the structure you have to follow it can be a little bit intimidating and that is exactly how i felt although we did have lab reports and research papers in school this was an alien experience to say the least because i had very little guidance other than davio who i met every couple of weeks and to be able to form a coherent paper that studies something you have never studied before is a very challenging task but in the end extremely rewarding so my feelings did change over time but it ended very positively and i'm very glad to have had this experience Absolutely, that's amazing to hear. And what were some of the most surprising findings or challenges that you encountered during your analysis of the inflationary paradigms? A major challenge, I would say, to a more general perspective, was definitely communicating some concepts that are purely mathematical and translating them into words. Now, physics, when you reach higher fields of studies, becomes extremely coagulated with math. they're mixed to the point where physics is math and math is physics and essentially what happens is a lot of concepts in physics are based off of mathematical truths or axioms but when you have to communicate this in words that is where the challenge comes in and i believe that that is where i struggled in explaining a lot of the math that was part of inflationary field theory considering field theory is a purely mathematical construct Yeah, absolutely. And I I mean, I personally am, am more interested in, you know, biology and chemistry. Like physics and math is alien to me. So like, how have you worked to kind of overcome that hurdle? Like what kind of I don't know, strategies have you used to to be able to communicate it better? Great question. So I'd say what helped me the most is looking at lectures or other papers because what better way to jump through hurdles and stand on the shoulders of giants, right? I looked at Professor Goot's lectures in the 2000s or papers that other researchers have written in accomplished fields to understand exactly how they've used language as a medium to communicate concepts and i feel that replicating the same process or the same approach to this was how i got over that challenge that's amazing and and really inspiring i like that little quote that you said what are some potential avenues for your future research are there other phenomena with stellar and galactic systems that you would examine or are there different methods of analysis that you would explore how how do you see this going forward so 
at the end of my review i've specified that i am currently researching ways to corroborate or to verify the theories that i've studied within the paper and the two methods that you just mentioned which is understanding redshift and the cosmic microwave background are the two main theories i am currently looking into essentially redshift is redshift is a phenomenon that takes place when galaxies move away from us very very fast their colors appear to be shifted towards red because of a certain scientific process which i won't go into much detail about but that essentially can be used to tell the age of the stars which can then be used to predict the age of the uh, universe and that can then again be extrapolated to the inflationary field theories because they predict a certain age of the universe based on the period of inflation as for the cosmic microwave background what happens is because the cosmic microwave background was at first a sea of plasma a sea of energy inflationary field theories predict its expansion as well as the patterns that get stretched out as well as the cosmic phenomena that take place so where and how galaxies and stars would be formed densities and a lot of other components that can be analyzed and checked for within the field theory so you can cross reference them to present day and by checking the predictions of the theories with what we observe today empirically we can understand whether or not we are headed in the right direction in research and that's what i aim to do Amazing. And as much as I would like to learn more, we do need to pause for a short break. But when we return, Avi will discuss other interests and involvements outside of this research and share some valuable advice with our young listeners. This is Raina Malhotra, and you're listening to Teen Scientist. Weekend Edition Saturday is a well-rounded news talk program about the economy, music, literature, and more. Join host Scott Simon and company as they discuss the latest events happening around the world. Start your weekend off with great programming beginning with Weekend Edition Saturday at 8 a.m., followed by NPR's Fresh Air Weekend at 10 a.m., and Great Folk, Blues, and Americana on All Reed Street at 11 a.m., all here on WDIY. Welcome back to Teen Scientist on WDIY. This is Raina Malhotra, and joining us tonight all the way from India is Avi Shah. We just finished discussing his major research project on inflationary cosmology, and now we're going to dive right back into learning more about his other interests and involvements. Avi, I know you have an interest in the search for the Higgs boson and have been collaborating with CERN on a related project. Can you tell us more about this experience and what you've learned? Sure. So a couple of months ago, I started a short project under the guidance of one of the heads at a project at CERN, which was a particle accelerator called CERN. And in this project called Project Atlas, the researchers have access to a particle accelerator, which essentially takes protons, which you've all learned about in high school. It takes millions of protons and smashes them into each other. And what that does is it produces a big, 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 big myriad of particles that can then be analyzed in, in order to understand the behavior of the particles that we know about, as well as how they decay and we can extrapolate a lot of information from these interactions within the particles. My work itself, as of now, I am currently studying the Higgs boson, which is in physics, to start from the beginning, there is something known as the standard model of particle physics, and it encompasses a wide range of particles and antiparticles, 
which make up all the matter that we know, which makes up everything we know of within the universe. And essentially, a lot of the key characteristics of these particles can be derived from other interactions with particles. So when we smash two protons into each other, two new particles can also come out of the collision. And what happens is that when we look at these decays and these collisions, we can look at the particles that were involved within the collision themselves and understand how they are structured from the inside. Now, protons, for example, are composed of quarks, which are subatomic particles. And what CERN has done through similar processes, they have discovered what is known as the Higgs boson. The Higgs boson is a particle that is responsible for giving mass. So your table, the pen, or the phone you're holding in your hand, the particles that make it up, they are given mass by the Higgs boson. The Higgs boson has its own field, which is called the Higgs field. Now, a field, like I said in the first half of the podcast, is sort of a sea that permeates through space. You can imagine the Higgs field as a sort of sea of caramel that particles are moving through. The sea slows them down. And what that translates to within what we see as humans, it's analogous to mass because mass slows us down very intuitively, right? And what we are doing at CERN and what the researchers have been doing for decades now is they are trying to understand the mechanisms that the Higgs boson has within its field as well as the nature of the Higgs boson because that would help us complete the standard model of particle physics. I am studying a specific decay of the Higgs boson that may take place if we smash a series of protons towards each other. And this can help find the characteristics that I mentioned before. Amazing. I think you explained that pretty well for a, for quite a complicated topic. Now, in the search for the Higgs boson, what is the big challenge? Like, what makes it so difficult that it hasn't already happened yet? With every unknown concept that we investigate, there are intrinsic challenges, right? Because we don't know what to look for or we don't know where to look for it. But when the Higgs boson was discovered in 2012 or when its existence was validated, we did have a good start, a good head start on exactly where to look for it and what to do in order to uh, look for it. As of now, first of all, we struggle with achieving high enough energies to produce the sort of collisions that we are investigating. Of course, with higher energy collisions, in the field of physics, you can create more collisions with higher energy And the decays that aren't very probable to happen, since they're the ones we're investigating, it would be natural for us to look at higher energies. So accessing higher energies would allow us to look into the collisions that we want to investigate because they aren't very accessible at low energies. That's obviously one of the hurdles, but CERN thankfully has very advanced technology that allows us to do this. Secondly, I would say is that Of course, we're still in the dark about a lot of the characteristics of the boson and we don't know exactly how it may interact with other particles. As of now, it's a very one-way street that we're looking at. But in the future, I hope that we are able to discern a lot more of the properties. And how did you even find this position? Who who did you contact and how how did you reach out? Also, what are you most looking forward to in this position? One of my teachers at school was gracious enough to find the time and patience to contact one of his distant cousins who works at CERN in class in the 10th grade. I became very close to this teacher and when he learned that I had a passion for particle physics, 
he very generously offered to put me in touch with his cousin that he seemed to recall. But I assured him that within six months, I'd be prepared to do so. And for six months, I learned a lot about particle physics and prepared myself for the role. And in August 2023, we contacted one of the leaders of the product at CERN called Atlas, Miss Patricia. And Miss Patricia and I had a brief 30-minute discussion on a Zoom call. And at the end of the call, I had the guts to ask her about any opportunities she may have. And very, very thankfully, she was kind enough to offer me a short collaborative project role. Sure. For the second question, what I'm looking forward to most is getting hands-on experience with the Collider. It's not an opportunity that comes across very often. And I do want to make the most of it because it's a glimpse into what my professional life could be in the future. And I'm thoroughly enjoying it. I'm the only minor who has ever had access to the supercomputers at CERN, as well as data from the Collider itself. It's a very unique experience. And to be able to see the workings of the universe at the quantum level and being able to analyze these collisions and peer into the essence of the universe is such an exciting concept. Well, that's amazing, and I wish you the best of luck in that role. I can't wait to see how everything goes for you there. Now, I want to zoom out a little bit and talk more generally and kind of open the floor for you to just ramble and talk about whatever you find interesting in in these fields. So are there any recent discoveries or observations in astrophysics or particle physics that have particularly intrigued you or stood out to you that that you just think is so cool? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, this might be a bit of a cliche, but of course, gravitational waves were detected in LIGO 2016. Essentially what these are, you can think of space and time as one big flip book, for example. And what gravitational waves are is ripples on the pages, if that makes sense. So every time you flip through a page, you're letting a second scroll by. And every page of the book depicts a snapshot in time of how our universe looks. And when you wiggle the pages, that's what a gravitational wave is, basically. But what's interesting is gravitational waves were predicted by Einstein almost a century before they were uh, discovered. And that truly blows my mind. Because to imagine a time before cell phones or before any of the modern technology we have now, for a man to come up with such an idea and have it verified a century later is truly mind-blowing. This does align with my research because it paved the way for field theories in general. Because... Einstein fueled researchers to think of our cosmos in terms of fields and in terms of space-time, which is what a lot of field theories are based off of. <laughs> well, that's really cool, and I'm glad that type of stuff is so interesting to you. Um, <laughs> are there any misconceptions or common myths about the early universe that you'd like to clarify that, that you see people just talking about in day-to-day that you think is like totally not true as, as someone interested in these fields? Misconceptions? Hmm, okay. One common idea is the idea of the center of the universe. So while, of course, we have evolved quite a bit and we do not believe that the Earth is the center of the universe anymore, like we did in the 17th century, there is a very common belief that that is a center of the universe. But What's interesting and very, very mind-boggling is that there is no center and the universe just is. So yes, while the Big Bang did happen, it did not happen at a specific point. The Big Bang was a point and 
the universe itself is the point. So you can't have a center of an infinitely big entity, if that makes sense. It's a very confusing concept, but a very interesting one at that. And I see why a lot of people are confused. Unless you've watched lectures or read books about this, it's very weird. It's counterintuitive. That, that, I guess that kind of makes sense. That was a good thing to clarify. Now, taking a step back from all this physics and research talk, I want to know more about you and your hobbies. So when you're not immersed in the world of STEM, how do you spend your free time? I mean, of course, family and friends takes first priority. I spend a lot of time with my family and friends, mostly watching TV. That's what I do during dinner or after dinner, spending time with them. But my two main hobbies, I would say, are art and martial arts. I have been heavily involved in art, especially comic art, for the last 12 years. Since I was a very young child, I loved drawing and painting. And my parents got me involved in classes with a professional artist who is free to spend his time with me and my sibling, who also is interested in art. But I do training with a comic artist who helps me take on projects and has given me many, many internships with him to be able to pencil and draw pages for his bodies of work. I am actually working on a mural as of now for my school that is consuming a lot of my time in the sense of art. It's four feet by four feet, which is a very, very big project, but I now have some free time to work on it. That is one of my main hobbies. As for martial arts, it's something I practice sporadically over the course of the last 10 years. But recently in the past three years, I've been very dedicated to it and I've been involved in national tournaments for taekwondo and mixed martial arts some of which i've even won martial arts is a way to release my energy art is a way for me to calm down a little after school and focus on myself and of course physics and maths takes up most of my time but i'd say that's a pretty good mix of activities that i enjoy quite a bit yeah absolutely and you definitely seem to keep yourself busy there's a lot on your plate as a high school student how are you able to balance all your academics and research and extracurricular hobbies what advice do you have for our listeners to kind of sustain this busy upbeat lifestyle (laughs) well i feel like this is something i've very recently been successful at tracking the right balance for you is something that is very very challenging to do and While I can give general advice, the specific things I've done for myself will be very individualized. I won't be able to apply it to all students' lives because it's tailored to my routine. But I realized in past months that breaks are very, very important to be productive. So while it may sound like doing eight hours of work will get a lot more done than four hours of work, that is just not true. Giving your body and your brain a break or whatever form you do that in, whether it's spending time with your family, whether it's watching TV, whether it's drawing, giving your brain that break and resting for a while is what allows you to both be much happier in life and appreciate the moment itself, not be uh, consumed by work, but also be productive when you're working because you work with a fresh mind and you work with a more optimistic attitude. Definitely. I couldn't agree more with that. Now, what's next for you, Avi? What are your major plans and goals for the future? And and where do you see yourself a a few years from now? As of now, of course, I will be working on the research I mentioned earlier. But in the future, I would love to work in an area of physics called unified field theory. Once more, field theory. I know it's uh, repetitive, but what unified field theory is, is basically an elegant explanation for everything that exists in the entire universe. It combines my two 
favorite interests astrophysics and particle physics and merges them into one coherent theory and what that does is it can explain the most smallest things from two electrons bouncing off of each other in the quantum realm to two galaxies colliding 30 million light years away and that concept is so attractive to me and i also have both a passion and understanding of the two fields that go into it i feel like this is a natural pathway for me but also something i would be incredibly enthusiastic in working in well that's quite exciting and i can't wait to see where you go with that lastly what pieces of advice would you give to our young listeners who are interested in making a difference in the world through science or research i'd say follow your passion so although everyone may not be exposed to the same opportunities or have a teacher in school who can get you connected to all these people like me i'm very thankful for that but the most you can do is stay involved within your community ask your teachers for help but also even if you don't have any opportunities to get work experience or to research i would say keep reading keep watching videos keep understanding concepts that you're passionate about and eventually when the time comes you will be well equipped to make an impact on the world so maybe just a little bit of patience and you will be doing what you want to do most passionately absolutely well avi this has been such an insightful conversation thank you so much for joining us and sharing about your work and it's been amazing to speak with you you too thank you so much for having me and thank you to our listeners for tuning in to wdiy i'm rena malhotra and i'll see you next time on teen scientist If you enjoyed this program, please go to wdiy.org or the WDIY app to share or become a WDIY member.